0: Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina, and despite all the technical difficulties, Scott, you're with me. How you doing, there, Scott? you. I'm I'm doing fine.
1: I'm not going to mention whatever whatever difficulties you might be talking about. This computer is great, and it loves me, and I love it. And we're we're gonna have a great time recording, and it's not gonna do weird stuff. I'm that that's that's what the, that's what the kids call manifesting. I'm manifesting that
0: positive thinking, uh, equals manifesting. I got to look that up and, uh, never heard that, but that sounds good to me. Um, but glad that, uh, all our alleged technical difficulties are behind this. So, uh, let's get right to it there, Scott, uh, fantasy baseball talk, a lot of talk about offense being down so far this season, Uh, League slug down by about 30 points. League ISO down by about 20 points. Supposedly fly balls are traveling six feet shorter than last season at this time. The Athletics, Ken Rosenthal and Eno Saris are reporting that batted ball distances have decreased in 20 stadiums. Now, you know, in in a cold spring, you know, we've experienced... Uh, issues where uh, the b- baseballs don't travel as much. But, you know, with everything that baseball has been doing recently, you know, deadening the ball, putting humidors in every uh, ballpark, uh, you, uh, once the warm weather comes, do you think that this lack of offense will, you know, uh, be behind us? Or uh, could 2022 go down as uh, the dead ball season?
1: So that's really one of the big things about the humidor, right? So, what the humidor does is maintains consistent humidity in the ball so that the ball will always have the same amount of water in it all the time. Right now, because there's a lot of places that are dry, that means they're adding water to the ball to get it back to its average, like normal humidity level, and that's making the ball heavier, right? When the ball's heavier, it does two things. It breaks harder, so breaking pitches are more effective, basically the anti cores effect, and also the ball will travel less far because it's heavier, right? It requires more force to move further. So both of those things combined will really deaden offense, right? Particularly power because you might still be able to get the bat on that ball, but it moved an extra 16th, 32nd of an inch. And that's the difference between a line drive and a ground ball, right? When you got a round bat hitting a round ball, you move it a 16th of an inch and it's not a line drive anymore. It's some grounder or something like that. So when the ball breaks a little more and it's a little heavier, you kill fly balls, you kill line drives, you kill distance. But in the summer, when it's very humid in lots of parts of the country, they're actually going to be using the humidor to take water out of the ball. That's going to make it break a little less, and that's going to make it travel further. So these things will balance out in a lot of places, but it's going to address a sort of uh, environmental issue that we never really talked about much, which is... The humidity outside, like we talked about it in extreme cases, like in Arizona and Coors, where they got the humidor and it was like this big deal because those are extremely dry places, right? Uh, you know, with Mm -hmm. and also, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously coors has the elevation as well, so it was like a double whammy, but those were really dry. They had the humidor, what's it do? It kills the ball, right? So and it made pitches more effective, right? Now, you don't really tell as much in course because it couldn't have as much of an impact because it's fighting against two variables instead of one, but in Arizona, you saw it big time, right? Because offense just got Mm dead So these humidors are going to have that impact across the league, and right now, it's going to push offense down. I expect in the summer that some places will have offense go up, but it's also not going to affect the entire league the same because it matters where you are. It matters what the kind... like. Mm -hmm. What kind of humidity you have, right? Arizona is basically the same humidity the entire season, right? And indoor parks, they're mostly the same the entire season. It's the other stuff, right? It's all the stuff in between. Detroit is one I think that will have the Chicago. We'll, you know, both Chicago parks will see this kind of thing. New York will see this kind of thing where, as the seasons change and the, you know, the amount of humidity in the air changes and the air density changes, the ball will change ever so slightly. And I'm not sure you can use this to a fantasy advantage as much as just going to be helpful to know because it's impacting those players. You don't want to think like, oh, this guy has like, it might not be as simple as, oh, he has less power, right? Because if the summer comes and that, you know, what right now looks like a really big power outage because it's a small sample early in the season, you know, by summer might look totally different because even even now, and I can't stress this enough, I'll keep saying it, it only takes, like, one good series to completely turn a batting line around. We're still that early in the air. Sure. Only takes one series. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that horrible slump turns into, uh, you know, turns into, oh, he's doing fine.
0: So your theory is and and it's very true that we're still so early in the season and I saw you tweeted out that just uh, someone having you know a two or three hit day could bring up their uh, batting average by 20 points or more uh in one day but so your theory is that in locations like New York City, you know Michigan and Chicago that have higher humidity levels typically in the summer that what's going to happen that we're going to see Uh, return to normalcy in terms of uh, power uh, or is it, how is it going to be affected with the use of the So, and
1: that's the other thing too, right? You have to remember that we're talking about league wide changes, but they don't affect everyone the same, right? So Mm. we are going to see some places where there's going to be a big difference between the spring and the summer, but it's going to be really hard to identify whether that's just because the weather changed, right? Because you know, the other thing that's going to happen, these players are going to make adjustments, Right, there's more than one reason that something like Glaber Torres is not doesn't stink because of humidity, right? Like that's that's just not that's not what's going on, right? There's other problems. are going to make adjustments, so it's it's going to happen in tandem, and that's another thing we need to think about too. Is like yes, the like the humidors right now, like we have a we have a correlation and we have what is likely a type of causation, right? It has an impact, but we don't know how much, right? How much of that is just like short spring trainings, right? Like, that's a huge deal. And the fact that these teams are throwing out relief, like especially early in the season, throwing out relievers like crazy because pitchers weren't warmed up. And so that means they got to mix and match. You got to play a lot of platoons. There's all kinds of things going on that can impact this. And this is just one of that's them. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, just from the eye test. Like, I, I mean, I've been noticing that it's just, it just seems like Balls aren't traveling as far. And like I said, we're kind of used to seeing that, you know, in the cold weather months. But like there was a game last week where (laughs) Giancarlo Stanton just crushed the ball. Uh, The fans looked at it. They stood up. John Sterling made the call. You know, the Yankee announcer called it a home run and it went to the warning track. Swung on, there it goes. Deep left center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone but caught at the wall, caught by Tapia. Boy, I thought that was gone. There were a couple of games that I watched early in the season. Happened to be in Detroit. I forget who the batters were, but the ball just died at the the warning track. But I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's just something that uh, is being talked about, and I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out eventually. And and by the way, so I was looking at uh, the... Uh, stats for some Oriole players. You know, there was the big deal about them moving in the fences in left field and raising the walls in, in left field. And there's only been six home games, but uh, Trey Mancini, 261 slug at home, 389 on the road. Ryan Mount Mountcastle, 208 home slug, 366 road slug. And Austin Hayes, another right-handed uh, home run hitter for the Orioles, 304 home slug, four twelve road slug. So like I said, only six games. We'll have to watch it. But so far, uh, it looks like that uh, they're not hitting as many home runs in Baltimore either. But uh, we'll just have to check out how that progresses as the season moves on.
1: Yeah. And I mean, one thing that everyone should do, and in fact, I'm doing it right now, is whenever you see like these kinds of home road splits, the other thing you really ought to do is just go look and see who they played, right? Because Again, the samples are still yeah. really small. Who did they play on the road? Who did they play at home? And when you go and look at that, you start to get slightly better ideas of maybe why they struggled, right? Um, so I can't say for sure. I do know that their home series was against Milwaukee and then the Yankees. And then on the road, they had to go, uh, they got to face Oakland and the Angels, right? So those are. I mean, there's some different levels of talent on these pitching staffs, right? Like <laughs> Milwaukee and the Yankees versus the A's and the Angels, right? Like that, that's a big difference, mm. right? And, you know, no. th- that's one potential explanation. But again, so many variables, so few games, Um, you know, when did they catch teams? How, you know, under what circumstances did they catch them? What do you, you know, what do you, What do you do about that? You just, it's so hard to draw conclusions. And I'm not just trying to beat the whole like, oh, small sample size, ignore it. I don't want you to ignore it, right? There is potentially something here, but we don't have enough yet. We know that, okay, so, so far it's confirming that we might see less, you know, we might see less from these players on the road, but will it be this much? Or was that just a function of who they played, right? Right. Was everyone healthy at the time? How early was it in the season? I mean, they started at home and then went on the road, right? So was it just that they Mm -hmm. were still, were they just rusty? Like all these narratives can become compelling depending on which one you lead with. So when you lead with, well, the fences were brought in. Our brains are designed to be like, that must be it. But like someone else can lead with something else the next day and be like, oh, wait a minute. Is it that? Like that's kind of the exercise I'm doing. And when there, when so many are compelling, when you do that and there's like three or four compelling reasons, that's when you sort of have to throw your hands up and be like, I either have to just guess which one it is, which variable has the most impact. Is it the walls? Is it the weather? Is it the slow start? Is it the opponents? Is it what? And then you got to pick which one. And then you got to decide if you care. Like, as dumb as it sounds, do you care? Because in this case, let's say it, it is the walls. Do you care? No, you already knew that. You should have already been adjusting for that. Now, if it's just the opponents, do you care? Not necessarily, right? But it's going to cause you to look at their opponents coming up, see if there's going to be a change, right? Mm-hmm. Um it, any of those things, right? Or maybe it maybe you really do think it's the walls and you really do care. Go for it, right? Try to make a trade based on what your, you know, draft day, you know, what your draft day values were. Those kinds of things. Like you can do that stuff, but just don't don't assume that that's the that's the cause because that's how you'll hang yourself out to dry is when you think there's one variable doing this and you like, every time you do that, you will be painfully reminded that there are 30 variables going on at any single time. And just cause mm. you figured out one doesn't mean you figured out the other 29.
0: Right. And like you said, so early in the season where it's almost too early uh, to make that determination, but I guess it's up to the individual. Uh, I'll give you a, you know an example of uh, something that should have triggered a response uh, to you. If you were a, a Bryson Stott, uh, if you rostered him, right? You know, Joe, Joe Girardi had uh, basically hadn't played him for, for a week. You know, Alec Baum got hot. He was starting him at third base instead of Bryson Stott you know, I mean, there you had concrete evidence that Stott was on his way out and he eventually did get uh, sent down to AAA on Monday. But uh, if if you were paying attention, uh, then this past Sunday, you would have, you know, uh, gotten rid of uh, Bryson Stott and a waiver wire move. So, uh, but I, I get what you're saying. It, it is very, very early in the season and uh, but that shouldn't, obviously, and, and you've mentioned that, shouldn't be the only uh yeah, But you brought up a
1: really great point there, fact. Joe. And and when you were looking at Stott, you, you can point out, like, it almost doesn't matter what the cause is because you're seeing the effect. Girardi benched him mm-hmm. multiple days in a row. You're not going to do that with a top prospect for very long. If you're not going to put him in the lineup, you're going right. to send him to where he can play. Right. So when you're looking at young players, yes. you will learn that pattern. Wow, they're really sitting him a lot. He might go down. Right. Whereas, you know, a vet, uh, a Harold Castro kind of guy, they'll let him sit five days in a row. They don't care. Right. Because he's a valuable Mm -hmm. backup. But Stott is not seen as a valuable backup. His value is a starter and his development is important. So they'll send him down. So like that's the thing. Look for those. You will find pattern like just because there's 30 variables doesn't mean they all matter. And you'll find patterns. You'll start finding patterns of action that, that sort of, I mean, they always talk about Tommy John. Like you see these guys like have their velocities in the spring, either spike or drop. And it raises red flags on both sides. You're like, oh, this often means arm injury. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But we, we run into that. And so finding those patterns, you don't necessarily have to try to like act on every single one. But just recognizing the patterns will help you as you're going throughout the season. Because each pattern you recognize and identify correctly is good practice. Right, keep doing it, even if you don't plan yeah. to add that player. Keep doing it.
0: Yeah, and, and don't give up on uh, Stott totally. Keep him on your watch list, uh, like uh, like Scott just mentioned. Uh, I think the Phillies do look to him as a long term option as a starting infielder and uh, they just want him to have the opportunity to get everyday playing time so um and uh, since uh, we did mention the orioles i guess we should also mention that like i said we're recording this on tuesday night wednesday john means uh their uh ace unfortunately is going in for tommy john surgery so uh, uh he won't be pitching for uh, at this stage probably a what a year year and a half so we wish him the best But uh, one player that is on the mend and can really jumpstart a team's offense. I don't think it matters what the ball looks like. (laughs) Uh, This guy's going to hit is Ronald Acuna. And uh, he's been really lighting it up, Scott, in his uh, rehab assignment. Uh, Remember, he's coming back from a... uh, acl tear uh batting 357 in his first five AAA games playing in the outfield which is incredible right because we thought that maybe they'd uh, the braves would bring acuna back as a dh and they still might you know for the first couple of weeks but this thing is even more huge this piece of information he's stolen three bases scott uh so could be uh, back in the major leagues a week from monday so we're talking i guess early may
1: yeah, and he's flying up the hitter list, right? The moment I know he's active, he's like the number two guy, right? Or if I think he'll be active within a yeah. week. Because how many players, if you told me Ronald Acuna was back today, how many players would I project better than him rest of season? One, maybe. Maybe. and I don't even know who, yeah. right? Ronald Acuna is, you know, a an almost consensus number one. And in the absence of Fernando Tatis Jr., I think he is the number one. Right. I don't think there's much debate about that. There was only debate about it earlier because we knew he'd miss a month, but that month's over. Right. And all of our rankings we do now, they're rest of season, right. They're not what already happened. They are rest of season. So, I mean, Ronald Acuna is, is number two. And if there's anyone out there who's like even mildly hesitant, who will let you give up the number three player for the number two, do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, that's that's great news. Now uh, let's move over to the White Sox, who have been kind of bitten pretty bad by the injury bug. Uh, Now, Eloy Jimenez out up to eight weeks with a right hamstring tear, just had uh, surgery to repair that. That's on top of uh, A.J. Pollock. uh, Well, not A.J. Pollock, I'm sorry. Uh, That's on top of uh, other injuries that they've had. Uh, yawn Mancata, Lance Lynn is down.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, a bunch of relievers yeah. are down. Um, yearman Mercedes I mean, is down, which is less relevant now than it was yeah. a year ago at this time, but it, it's out there,
0: yeah, especially now with him and Jimenez out. Um, and they're dealing with a little issue with uh, top closer Liam Hendricks, who's dealing with what was originally called back tightness. Uh, right now, he's listed as day-to-day. Like I said, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 26th. Uh, they're listing it now as back spasms, <laughs> not just back tightness. But he's been uncharacteristically bad there, Scott. 6.14 ERA, two home runs in 7.1 innings pitched, four saves, but two losses as well. Velocity looks okay, but uh, it looks like you know this back issue could have been an underlying cause of his early season struggles.
1: Yeah, it could be and I kind of hope it is because injuries go away. And when they do, he'll be a lot better. He's obviously an elite closer. It, this is some of that news that's kind of rough because you can't do anything about it. If he is active at right. all, if he's not on the IL, he has to be in your starting lineup. Right? Unless he's, you know, unless he's just pitched, you know, two straight days and he threw 25 pitches each, right? Like then fine, but if, if he has the potential to pitch that day, you have to put him in. Because if there's a save opportunity, he's going to get it if he is active, right? Aaron Bummer and Kendall Graveman mm-hmm. are, are really good setup guys, and they are not Liam Hendricks. He, the, he is, his role is not really threatened right now, even with a mildly slow start. So it's it's a bummer news, and it's something you should definitely be, you know, if you are a closing speculator and you really need the saves because you're in a 15 team or something, Kendall Graveman is probably the name you want. Aaron Bummer is second. Aaron Bummer is a lefty. He's had a little bit rougher of a start to the season than Kendall Graveman. But I do think Kendall Graveman is probably the guy that gets a first crack at those saves.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, he had he had 10 saves last season for the Mariners before he got traded. So uh, I agree with you. He's probably the guy to own at this point or to roster at this point. Um, Do you handcuff your closers?
1: Depends how deep the league is, right? So in only leagues, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then there are certain, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit. There are certain closers that, if I don't handcuff, I'm always watch listening the back. There's certain guys that are always on my watch list because I know that if they got the job, they instantly become top ten closers. I'm talking like the Devin Williams of the world, where if if he got the rot, if he got the job because Hader went down, you know, Devin Williams instantly vaults to to top, you know, top closer, right? Or if Gregory Soto goes down, you know, obviously he's not going to be a top closer, but Michael Fulmer is the next guy. It's a very clear, you're second in command, but you're the next one, right? So any of those Mm -hmm. kinds of guys, those are the ones that I will, if I don't handcuff, I'll at least like watch list or, or stash, even if I don't have the main closer. Cause I'm like, look, if they become like, first they're usually good pitchers. So If it's a league that does holds or if I just need the ratios because it's really deep, I do that. And then I know that if someone goes down, I get the saves. You can't really do it in 10 or 12 teamers, though, because uh, unless you just can't find a streamer. The time it's valuable in a 12 teamer like a Yahoo is when there's no streamer out there. So you're like, yeah, I'll grab this guy for a week. And and maybe I get lucky he gets a save or ends up with a closer's job. And if not, I'll let him go once I find a streamer. And in the meantime, I'll get some strikeouts and some decent whip and ERA.
0: Right, right. And you probably wouldn't have had to pay too much uh, fab, right? Because, man, as soon as a a closer emerges, they just eat up all your fab. Uh, This week, uh, Jorge Lopez, we keep on talking about the Orioles, but Jorge Lopez emerged uh, as the Orioles closer. I think he had three Uh, saves in the past week. And uh, I ended up uh, in one of my deeper leagues. I had uh, Kyle Finnegan basically sitting on my bench, dropped him, and I had to drop about 10% of my original fab to get Jorge Lopez. So, uh, you know, every once in a while, a closer will emerge, and, uh, you know, it's going to cost you.
1: Yeah, that inflation will kill you. Right? $4 at the pump, Mm. 10% of your fab, it just just really bleeds you dry. But... I'll say that uh, with with closers in April, the, the thing that's tough is that everyone still has their fab and everyone's still paying attention. Players will never be more pricey than they are in April because all anyone can think is, if this is the guy, I've got him for 25 saves or something like that, right? Whereas, you know, we become much more cynical in May, June, July. We're like, yeah, maybe he'll do something, right? So I would tell you to to keep that cynicism. Um, And now Jorge Lopez has also been just striking out people like mad, right? Two, three strikeouts every time it goes out there. So I I actually like that move. But just because a guy gets a save, like, don't fall for the Julian Merriweather trap who got two saves. He got two in a weekend Mm. and was everybody's fab, all the fab, right? Because he got the first two, but two is not a trend, right? Two is still coincidental. Two is still matchups. Two is still ride the hot arm, right? Be patient. Let some of them go, especially in those 10 and 12 team leagues. Let some of those spec closers go. Just wait. More closers will become available. I promise. Like, how many of the guys that got added in April last year stuck around the whole year as closers? Not many. In fact, Jordan Romano was probably the best one, and he didn't get the closing job back for like two or three months. So, just, you know. This is all going to happen. Let it happen around you. Same for streaming pitchers. You know, grab your guy if you really believe, but all of those, they're all way more expensive than they will be in two or three weeks.
0: Yeah. Uh, Where do you stand with uh, Danny Jimenez, who uh, basically he's the current A's closer, but uh, Lou Trevino is on the COVID-19 IL, and... Let's face it, I have a feeling that Trevino's going to get his job back once he comes back off that IL because the A's are going to want to showcase him for the eventual trade where they're going to trade him later in the season for some prospects. So what do you do with Danny Jimenez? He he might lose the job and then get it back in a couple months.
1: Yeah, and how many saves are going to happen in that time for the Oakland Athletics, right?
0: They're playing a lot better keep, than I expected. Yeah, well what you did you much.
1: look at that lineup and tell me how long you think that team keeps winning games.
0: Right? What? With Sheldon noisy? Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah. Yeah, you know like the they they just
1: keep running the carcass of Tony Camp out to the middle infield and can't figure out why they don't go to the playoffs. Like because it doesn't work that way. Right. Like the only thing that's different for them this year than other years is that Jed Lowry isn't leading the league in batting average in April. That's the only difference. Right now, normally, yeah, it's crazy. Normally that happens he's been hurt. So Brad Miller took up that mantle and did that for a little while uh, just to be the, the random old guy to do it. But anyway, um, I, I don't want to say, I I don't want this to to come off the wrong way, but I kind of don't care about Danny Jimenez in most leagues. Right. Because, even if he gets the job back somewhat soon, uh, how many again, how many saves is it? and what quality will those saves be? right? It's a rather unknown you know a rather unknown pitcher in a rather unknown role for a rather bad or at best unknown team. Like do you really need all that? I feel like there's other bids out there that might be more useful.
0: How about a, a Josh Stallman from uh, the Royals? I mean, do you trust him? I mean, Scott Barlow came in as the presumed closer, and all of a sudden Stahlman gets a couple of saves.
1: Yeah, we actually talked about this on the on the first pitch podcast. And and what's kind of happening is he's coming in. Uh, Barlow's coming in to be a fireman, like the like the old Andrew Miller role, right? Not the closer, but will get saves. Like he'll like take like ten of them a year in in this role if they did it for the full season. And then they'll have, you know, the other guy be the the closer, right? I I can't remember exactly who it was back then, but like it was a lesser pitcher that was the closer, but they were, they were just the closer. The, the important innings were always done by Andrew Miller. The important innings are going to be done by Scott Barlow, right? And that's okay. That's okay. Mm. You could, I I think I like Stalmott more than Jimenez in the very sense that I know Stalmott's role. I have no idea what Jimenez's role is in two weeks. Right. This is as bad as Stalmont's roles get, and it's pretty good. It looks like the presumptive closer. Right. So I'll take that yeah. all day.
0: No, yeah. All right. Uh, Closers will drive you nuts. Right. So uh, let's move off the topic for now. Uh, but I'm sure we'll be talking about them uh, in the coming weeks. Um, Eddie Rosario is in the news today. He's going to be out eight to 12 weeks. Uh, Eddie Rosario, the. Uh, outfielder uh, batting 068 with a 163 OBP and an 091 slug. And now we know why. Uh, he's going to have LASIK surgery to correct blurred vision and swelling in his right eye. Scott, if you can't see, you're not going to be able to hit. That's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, I'm not a doctor, mm. but I understand that this might hey, impact Uh, your ability to see a baseball that's traveling 90 to 100 miles an hour uh, and moving a lot, right? Like, that's a hard thing, I feel like, to see when it's blurry. Yeah. So, you know, this might Mm -hmm. help him a little bit. Also worth noting, incredibly slow start last year, too. He was basically Mm unrosterable until he joined Atlanta and got some playing time. So, I mean, I, I was writing it off as just another slow start until this news. And this, like, this makes me Mm -hmm. feel a little better because at least there's, that's more than just slow start, like slow, because slow starts are just outcomes. They're not like, they don't cause anything, right? They, they are what was, you know, they, they are the impact. They are the outcome. So I was like, why does he have a slow start? Well, if he can't see out of one eye, great, right? I don't need to be a genius to understand the cause and effect there. Can't see well, can't hit ball well. I like it when it's this simple, Joe. Right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're going to try to challenge you a little bit more before the podcast is over. But yes, um, COVID is, is is another problem that uh, has resurfaced, and uh, so many players going on the COVID IL. Uh, Pirates have Cole Tucker that went on the IL today, but uh, even more importantly, Brian Reynolds, their uh, top offensive force outfielder, uh, is on the COVID IL. Uh, they brought up uh, Jack Swinski, uh from their AA uh, affiliate. He's been having a pretty good season, pretty pedestrian numbers overall for his minor league career, but was batting 353 with a 421 obp so uh, we could keep our eye on him but i really wouldn't expect too much and still still scott no o'neill cruz uh if you're looking uh, at the o'neill cruz watch two games played in outfield 12 at shortstop the story was they were sending him down to the minor league so that he could work on his defensive skills. I think he was going to learn how to play the outfield. You're not going to learn to play the outfield if you're only starting two games at that position.
1: Yeah. Well, see the pirates, they have this really interesting organizational philosophy where they don't like to win ball games. So, <laughs> you know, with that, with that mindset, I think what they're doing makes absolute sense. If you don't want to win ball games, you put your best and most exciting players in triple a, right? Like, that's right. what you do because then they can't help you win ball games. And that's what you're, you know, that's what you're really trying to avoid. You, you're trying to avoid winning ball games because in that, that's the only light where all of this makes sense, right? Like when they said, Oh, Brian Reynolds went down. I'm like, Oh no. What if the pirates offense stinks? Wait a minute. <laughs> like it already is terrible. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, one, you hate, you hate to see them put more pressure on Cabrian Hayes to be the only thing that this team has that's worth watching at any given time. But here we are, right? They also sent down uh, Rosny Contreras, which blew my mind. None of it made sense. And here we are, mm-hmm. right? Like, they just send down all their best players. And if you're a Pirates fan, you know, I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. Because if you're a Pirates fan, go to a yeah, AAA because game. Because
1: this team <laughs> this team is not doing anything to try. Like, I can't think of a single thing they've done where I've thought, that will help them win ballgames soon, right? That They just don't. The only thing I do is draft guys mm. because they keep stinking. Right. But, but that's it. So that's really frustrating. Um, I'd tell you that like this really impacts like the fantasy relevant players of the pirates, but like he's on COVID IL right? <laughs> with Brian Reynolds. I mean, Brian yeah, Hayes, yeah. obviously this impacts him because he has even less support in the lineup around him, but it doesn't mean you bench him or anything. And other than that, I mean, that's kind of it. That's just the pirates They're They're not good. And they're not that interesting.
0: Yeah. And you got to wonder when Cruz will be uh, brought up to the major leagues because now he's batting 204 (laughs) with a 295 OBP and a 333 slug. The Pirates just can't have nice things. They had a nice player and they uh, sent him down to the minor leagues uh, under the. Guys, of him learning how to play the outfield and then they don't start him in the outfield and uh, just messed up with his head and now he's bat 204 so uh, the, other than uh, Reynolds and uh, Key Brian Hayes uh, Will Crow, their reliever is the most exciting player on this team and he's actually doing very really well uh, it's uh, 16 strikeouts and 13.1 innings pitch so if you're looking for a middle reliever just that to give you some uh, good counting stats uh, pick up will crow
1: yeah joe that that's got to make people feel real good like oh don't worry yeah there is a third guy in pittsburgh we can talk about he's this middle will crow <laughs> it's this middle reliever <laughs> you probably haven't heard of and he's doing pretty good <laughs> that's what that's what we got it's not even like he's he's not even like he's setting the world on fire he has 13 pretty good innings <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes Stephen kwan one half of the guardians wonder twins not on the I.L. As, as we're recording, but came out of uh, the game on Sunday due to a tight hamstring. Uh, Guardians were off Monday. That rest didn't help him out because he wasn't in the lineup uh, on Tuesday, the day that we're uh, recording. Uh, started out quite hot. His first five games was batting 667 with a 750 OBP, Scott. And then in his next nine games, batted 172. But uh, so uh, we'll see what happens there.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what we keep talking about. And this is what's tough about some of these Stephen Kwan-like guys who are high-contact players, right? Um, When the stuff's falling, they look unstoppable, right? Like, we're sitting here just being like, oh my god, he never whiffs. And he's probably still not whiffing, right? The problem's going to be making solid contact. He's going to make a lot of weak outs. It's going to make it really hard for the Guardians to give him, like, primo opportunities in a lineup if he just keeps making weak outs, because those turn into double plays and things. And ultimately the ceiling for him is a bit limited. He's a batting average first guy and the power ceiling and stolen base ceiling just isn't very high. So it makes it tough. I think that if you're in a 12 teamer, I'm not saying you should cut him yet. I'm just saying like, keep an eye on who else is out there and, and don't be afraid to, because that like, yes, I ranked Steven Kwan, but that part of the rankings always turns over. You're always looking for the next best thing. I very much embrace Nick's philosophy this way. Like, don't just settle for some Toby, right? Like look for the upside, look for the potential. And that's what you should do. And Stephen Kwan does have some, but if there's something, someone else out there that has more you should absolutely be going for that instead.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. Let's talk about a couple of hot players and, uh, you know, one in particular is someone we know very well, uh, Cody Bellinger, uh, still batting at the bottom of the Dodgers batting order, but after a bunch of tweaks to his swing, seems to at least temporarily be on the right path. Uh, in his first 15 games, has a 273, 3, 333, 582 triple slash with four home runs and 55 at bats. Pro rate that, Scott, and he gets a 40 plus home run full season total. So, um, I don't know, 15 games, but if someone in your league is willing to move Bellinger, maybe they had buyer's remorse and, and no risk tolerance and were worried when he got off to that slow start, and maybe they're just ready to cut ties with him. Is he someone that uh, that you'd feel comfortable seeking out in a trade? Let's say you, you lost Eli Jimenez for a couple of months. Is he somebody that you might look to you know, replace him with for a yeah, while? Yeah, if
1: someone thinks that they're selling high right now, I think it's worth a shot. Uh, I I don't think Bellinger is the 50 home run or the 40 to 50 home run 10 to 15 stolen base guy that he was right away but there's this version of him that can be a 30 home run 10 stolen base player with like a 250 260 batting average that's extremely valuable especially when they play for the friggin' Dodgers and could drive in a bazillion runs if he gets put back in the middle of the order so you know I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a fan of Cody Bellinger in that sense And there are going to be leagues where he will be available because people think they're selling high. Right. And if you don't think that you're like, I don't see this necessarily as selling high. I see this as one of the few buying opportunities you might actually have because it's hard to acquire players unless people think they are selling high because nobody wants to sell low. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though we always say buy low, sell high, like nobody wants to sell low. So what you do is you identify a player like a Cody Bellinger where the manager might think that like, oh, this is the peak. I got to trade now. And when you can figure out where you rank Ballinger now, find players around that and, and use those as the target right? Because all that matters, especially in a one-for-one deal, and I mentioned this on the Reddit AMAs, everyone should come out and check them out. Uh, midday on Fridays over on Reddit, we do an AMA, we, we answer as many questions as we, as we possibly can. Yeah. And something I've talked about in the AMAs, which, which are really awesome, you should all come out on Reddit, really check those out. Uh, we answer just a ton of questions. It's me, Nick, Joe, I mean, just like tons of the staff are there. So please come and do that. One thing we talked about on there is when you have one-for-one trades something I really wanted to call out that all that matters in a one-for-one trade is that you think your guy will be better than the other guy over the course of the season. All that stuff about get the max value, like that's all important in context. But at the end of the day, it's all that matters. If you think your player is better than the other player, make the swap. And it sounds like I'm oversimplifying, but I'm telling you in a one-for-one trade, that's all it is, right? Like you use like ADPs and values and rankings to like sort of get an idea of what the other person might value, but value that player as so you can make an offer, but just, just offer a guy for an upgrade, right? For that you think is an upgrade that someone else might not that it's that simple. That's how you can make a, a quick trade one-to-one and you can win those trades a lot because they might not be huge upgrades, but they're enough or they might just be, they might be more like side grades. Like you, you didn't really upgrade. You just kind of did, did like a parallel move but it might be better for your team overall because it will contribute mm-hmm. to roto stats that you don't already have, right? That's the other thing to do. They might not be the same. You know, your player might not be ranked quite as high as the other player in a vacuum, but there are no vacuums, right? All of us are in leagues right now with a real context. And if you're light on stolen bases, and you need to go get them. Don't worry about overpaying a little. If you think by getting rid of this player and acquiring that player, your team will be better right that you will have more roto points or you will you will have a better chance to move up in the standings than you did before if that's true that's your trade it's that simple right you don't need to kill yourself over these if you think that's what helps you do it yeah you can fiddle around a little bit to try to maximize your value but but don't overthink it don't get too squirrely here just all trades are are i mean they're just like the waiver wire they're just moves to try to improve your team most of them are incremental
0: yeah and at the same time I mean we could talk trades we could do a whole show on trades but uh if, to have to make a trade you're going to have to order offer uh the other manager uh, something that makes his or her, her team better so i mean just just know that don't don't just throw out you know garbage and and think you're going to get back a player of value so but uh, like I said, we maybe we one we'll uh, focus on trades as the season wears on, but. Uh
2: Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show.
0: Andrew is another outfielder who's been hot, um, magical twenty-seven year old season. You know that there's that uh, fallacy, or I don't know, is it a fallacy or is it true where some people feel that you know, age twenty-seven, uh, some players really start to come into their own. But uh, batting three eighty-eight in his first fourteen games. Power hasn't shown up yet, uh, just a, a homer and a six RBI in those first 14 games. Um, 102 iso, walking a bit more, striking out a little less. Good pedigree was once considered to be one of the Red Sox's top prospects. Uh, which, uh, what are you thinking about Benintendi? How are you treating him on your hitter list these days? So
1: Benintendi has a, has a pretty decent spot on the hitter list. The problem with Benintendi really is just the upside. Especially, uh, you know, with his team setting, Benintendi's just, he's not going to be a 25 home run hitter. He's not going to be a 25 stolen base guy. He's more like a 15 home run, 15 stolen, you know, maybe 10 stolen base guy. he He's really valuable in those deep leagues where all that stat accumulation really matters. Or he's, he's also especially useful in Roto. But in leagues that are maybe like head-to-head categories he's a lot more inter- like he becomes very interchangeable in 10 and 12 teamers with half the rest of the waiver wire. Right. So yes, he will get to face some, some softer pitching. Uh, and, well, no, because his team's the softer pitching in that division. So he might, you know, he might have some value because he'll hit in a decent spot in the lineup and will be a good injury replacement or a fifth outfielder or something like that. But in like a standard Yahoo league where it's only three outfield. And you are only ten or twelve teams. Benintendi's probably just always going to be one of the better guys on the waiver wire when he's out there, and he will be several times.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about Connor Joe? Who who do you like better, Benintendi or Connor Joe? I am starting to believe in Connor Joe. Been playing every day, leading off most of the time, first base, outfield, eligible. Obviously, uh, plays in a good uh, hitter park. Uh, in his first fourteen games, batting three twenty seven, three homers. Uh, what are your, uh, what are you thinking about Connor Joe and how do you compare him to a Ben I'm
1: sticking, uh, Connor Joe might've hit another home run today as well. So, uh, it might be four now, but I- I'm a big fan of Connor Joe, right? Like I-, I think that he's doing a lot of fun things. He's an awesome story. And most importantly for me, he's hitting on the road and he's still hitting at the top of that order. That's what I want to see. That's what makes me believe in him. Uh, seeing him make adjustments as he goes on the road. What I don't care about as much is just like his, you know, his overall stat line. It's still heavily influenced by some long home stands, but the fact that he's getting through this road trip and his stat line is staying pretty flat is really good news. And that's something that means maybe this is more sustainable than I originally thought.
0: Hmm. All right. Um, let's take a look at a couple of players who are, uh, slumping of late, or actually the whole season, really. What, what are you thinking about Mookie Betts? Talking about another um, outfielder for the Dodgers in his first 14 games, batting 196, two home runs, five RBI, two stolen bases. I mean, we know the pedigree, and you could just say, well, he's great. Then by the end of the season, he's he'll be batting 300. But uh, had a tough year last year as well. Uh, only batted 264 uh 23 homers and 10 RBI anybody else you know you say that that's a decent season but uh dealt with some injuries last season especially the right hip never had surgery to repair it just rested it and you know you start to worry you know you know are there some lingering effects that are causing him to get off to such a slow start maybe that that hip didn't heal you know i was just reading an article about anthony rendon who had hip surgery last August and he's still rehabilitating, you know, he still says he's feeling the uh, effects from that surgery. I mean, you obviously need your, your hips to swing a bat. Yeah. And really
1: the problem right now just looks to be quality of contact. His patience at the plate is still as good as ever, right? He's not, he's not whiffing a ton. Um, He's actually still playing pretty good defense. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, his sprint speed hasn't been registered that high, but he's playing you know, he's playing well defensively. So it's hard to say exactly how much the hip is bothering him. Maybe it's only when he's in the box. I don't know, but I will say that I'm not that worried yet. Right. Because if last season was the Mookie Betts floor, that's why you draft him where you draft him. Right. Because that's still a really good season. That's still a very useful fantasy season. Not what you.
0: Is it a late, is it worth a late first round, early second round pick?
1: As a floor.
0: As a floor. uh,
1: Yes. But obviously it's disappointing, right? But it's not as though he wasn't rosterable, right? It wasn't as, oh, of course yeah, I mean, yeah. he missed he missed a lot of time, things like that. But I, I still am just not worried about him quite yet. Uh, I think all you can, you can be worried about him if you want. Just don't do anything. <laughs> don't do anything rash, right? Uh, if you want to do something extreme and bold, bench him, right? That's fine you're never cutting mookie bets you're not selling him for you know you you're not of course you're not trying not. to trade him for some <laughs> barely top 100 guy or barely top 50 guy you're not doing any of that just you know cross cross your fingers um do whatever it is you do to summon luck and hope it works out soon because you know ultimately you just need him to be mookie bets there's not that's the only way that you get the value you expected
0: Give me a, a good trade and a bad trade for him. Like you know, let's say what who would you get back as a pitcher if you wanted to trade Mookie Betts? What's I mean? Can you get a Corbin Burns for a Mookie Betts? No, no, no. I, should should you hold out for a Burns? My for a Betts. My
1: my. I mean, here's the thing and this is maybe in your league, this might be different, but I know that in any league I'm in, nobody's trying to acquire Mookie Betts right now. Not for anything that I'd be willing to give him up for. Right. Because I I say this, Mm -hmm. I say this in the AMA. I say this in, you know, every time someone asks me right now, what's a good trade. And I say anything really where you can trade, where basically you look at your draft rankings. And as long as there hasn't been new news about like injury and a bunch of missing time or a, drastically different role like your draft ranking shouldn't have changed very much yet right maybe the back end but mm-hmm. like in like say Suzuki and maybe Francisco Lindor or Ty France have moved up because of their just great starts this season but other than that you shouldn't have moved too much yet and if you want to make a trade just look at your draft rankings and be like okay I had Mookie bets above this outfielder and I felt really good about that at the time let's see if you know um uh, you know, that's, that's where I sit. So I'm going to say no, or it might go the other way. It's like, Hey, you know what? I had this guy ranked right above Mookie bets. Cause I was a little low on bets anyway. Let's see if they'll take it. Right. Because other people will see this as an opportunity to buy low. You just have to figure out how low you'll let anyone, you know, acquire him. And right. you don't right. have to let anyone have him. Right. He's not demanding right. a trade. He can't sit for you. Right. He can't refuse to play. <laughs> Yeah, he he can't come right. to your office. He doesn't know where you live. He doesn't care about you. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure he does. He seems like an incredibly nice guy and he bowls and he's great. But he doesn't, you know, like, none of that's going to happen. So, so it's fine. Just, you can just hold and bench. Because you know what happens if you bench him? He doesn't get mad at you. It's not like real, it's not like real baseball mm. where they they have to deal with this stuff. You don't have any HR worries right now. Right? So, so like mm. at worst, bench him, but, or just leave him in because, how, how surprised would you be if tomorrow morning on the first pitch, all you hear is Mookie Betts finally started the season off. Well, he went four for five with a triple and a home run three RBI. Like that's just a natural, like that's a natural thing you'd hear like, Oh yeah. Oh, good for him. Finally. Right. Like if that's still your <laughs> thought and you don't feel like this is a different player, just wait it out.
0: No, i tell you. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you bench uh, bets on your fantasy uh, league, it, it, you know you're not going to hear from him. Steve Phillips, uh, former Mets GM, told a good story at MLB Radio today. He didn't name the player, but he said he had a 26 year old uh, hitter on one of his teams, yeah. and he gets a call from the guy's mother, and the guy's mother says, "You know, I know he's in a slump, but if you keep on sitting him," it's not going to help him. He, he needs to get at bats. You know, you you need to, you know, this happened on another team he was on, you know, you really need to get him in the lineup. So you, Phillips was polite. Uh, but as uh, soon as he hung up the phone with the player's mother, he went to his assistant and said, uh, do me a favor, put this guy on waivers. So <laughs> I just, the, when you mentioned that uh, bets won't get mad at you if you Put him on your bench on the bench of your fantasy team. which just broke.
1: Yeah, story yeah, Mama you. Mookie ain't calling. Uh, to That's not going to happen. No, let let, let, let yeah. him sit for you, right? Like the Dodgers are going to keep playing him because he's still got great discipline at the plate. He's still a plus defender. Uh, for you, you can you can bench him if you want. I mean, I won't. I you mm. know I've got him in, in a couple of weeks and I won't bench him. But if especially maybe in like a ten teamer or something, I might just you know finally be so fed up, throw my hands up. Yeah, I'll bench him. But you know, I'm just begging to be upset with myself in a week when I forget to put him back in mm. and he goes off for two games in a row.
0: Yeah, nothing worse than benching a player like that and all of a sudden, like you said, has the, a two homer game yeah. or whatnot. But uh, would you bench a, a Jesse Winker? <laughs> Jesse Winker uh, went from playing in an extremely hitter friendly, uh, great American ballpark uh, to, to Seattle, where it's not really a. Pitcher's park, not really hitter's park, but, you know, you could do well there. Um, batting in, in his first 16 games, Scott, hasn't hit a home run. Six runs scored, six RBI, batting 154. Walking a ton, 22.1%. Uh, K rate is is better than last season's at 132 uh, what are you doing with Jesse Winker at this stage? I mean, you can't put him in your starting lineup. Yeah,
1: and the outfield out there is is a little more crowded than I'd like to see uh, for, for Jesse Winker in the sense that they're sort of platooning him, not entirely, and that's scary. I, I think in a 10-teamer with like four or five outfielders, I think you got to just hold on because the upside's crazy. I mean, we, we've we seen him more than once just turn the stat page red. Right. The like key. And yes, and let's absolutely. Speak, that, that plate discipline, like let's not gloss over that. He's walking almost twice as much as he strikes out. Right. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. doing amazing on that. So like he's, he's seen like, he's still reading the zone. Well, he's just not putting the good part of the bat on the ball. Uh, I wonder how much of that is just a shortened spring training in a new environment with new hitting coaches. And, I'm willing to believe that a little bit more time will work this. This will all work itself out and he will be a valuable player. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm with you on that because he still has an above average line drive rate. And so I I think good things uh, are still to come. And I think it's just maybe his timing or whatnot. He has a a 13.6 infield fly ball rate um, and he's hitting 36.4% of his Batted balls going to the opposite field, which is way over uh, what he's done in the past. So I- I'm with you. I think that better days are ahead, but at this stage, if you have a better option, I, I think you got to bench him. And, uh, and like you said, I mean, I- you recall w- issues where he was just white hot at one point, you know, he just goes on these tears for a month. So I'm sure that'll happen, but uh, Marcus Simeon, another guy uh, with a new team, uh, with the Rangers um, went uh, also like uh, Winker went from a very hitter friendly environment to what's really being considered a a pitcher friendly ballpark uh, in Texas His his hard hit rate is down. Uh, Walk and strikeout rates are about the same as his recent averages uh, fly ball rate is up significantly and is also like uh, Winker hitting the ball to the opposite field a lot more.
1: Yeah, and that's all interesting. Um, I, I don't want to get too deep down this rabbit hole, but there is something a lot of folks might be familiar with called stabilization points or or points where we have found that for an average player, stats aren't necessarily stabilized, but they are reliable in a sense. So um, we're only just now getting to that point. Uh, It's about 50 plate appearances or so for strikeout and walk rates. That's why I'm focusing on those a lot right now. Those are at least somewhat meaningful with this many many at-bats and plate appearances in the works. But what's not reliable yet is batted ball data. Not stat cast either, right? Because there just haven't been very many. (laughs) Like, how many hits does any one player have? Like, does anyone have 20 yet? right? Like they, right. they'll have more batted balls than that, but still they, there just aren't very many. Those samples are tough. Like the, the expected stats will tell you like whether it's, there's a lot of luck going on or they have really bad luck. But other than that, it's hard to really come to too many conclusions. They're just starting points. And if I see excellent plate discipline and still some okay looking things in the stat cast, like it's not all terrible. Sure. Sure, I'm still on board, especially at this stage, especially for a player like Winker who has such upside. Whereas for a Steven Kwan type, maybe I'm a little, you know, the, the leash is obviously a lot shorter. Um, And, you know, if the stack has, you know, if stack cast or whatever, if the rest of the stuff, you know, if he starts slumping and everything kind of looks bad, I'll be like, ah, eh, see ya. Right? Because Steven Kwan's upside is nothing like Jesse Winker's.
0: Hmm. So, uh, what are you doing with your with your uh, hitter list at this stage? Any players making major moves? Like uh, after Anthony Rizzo hit his two home runs tonight, leading uh, the major leagues with seven, are you uh, going to be moving him? Anyone giving you trouble in terms of y- your ranking? So, Cody Bellinger
1: continues to give me trouble, but I'm buying more and more. Uh, so he'll he'll be moving mm-hmm. up. I'll tell you that Ty France will be our feature. Uh, he's moving up quite a bit, and I could have moved him even higher. Because he's been uh, coming into today, he was fantasy's number one uh, number one hitter. Um, Francisco Lindor is getting a little bit more of a bump, and while it won't be a ton of it won't be like a huge move in terms of number of spaces, it's going to feel a lot better for me. And I'll probably mention this in the write up because he's going to feel a lot more solidified there. He's been excellent this season. He's been a top three hitter in baseball, so I I really like that one. Um, Seiya Suzuki is getting another bump. He's going to keep getting bumped until I have to bring him down. Like that's, that's just what I'm going to have to do. Cause he's starting to look like a top 25 hitter. Uh, you know, and the more time goes on, the more he looks like it. And then of course, Acuna is going to be number two. Um, it maybe I mean, maybe number one, I haven't really decided yet. I've got, you know, cause we've got Vlad and Juan Soto and Trey Turner up there, but Ronald Acuna junior, man, he should be right up there. Uh, I might bump um, you know, what I'm not going to do is move Kyle Tucker very far. 'Cause you have a slow start last season too. And, mm. and I'm I'm a huge Kyle Tucker fan. I just think there's monster potential in in that bat and with his legs. So he's not gonna move much. Um, but also expect the back end of that list to just keep churning. Really everything after like one twenty five, it's gonna just keep churning and churning and churning.
0: Hmm. Actually, I think you're gonna have to really have to move up Rizzo because I think he had three home runs. Uh, tonight. Six RBI. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I mean, so, I love seeing uh, him rejuvenated. I wanted to see that last yeah. year is the blip and and not anything else. Mm-hmm. And he certainly made it look like that so far.
0: Yeah. Full season playing with that uh, short right field porch in Yankee Stadium. And uh, Joey Gallo hit his first home run. Where, uh, curious, where do you uh, put Joey Gallo on that list.
1: I have not yet settled on a spot for him uh, because I keep moving him down because it's designed for standard leagues. And and when the batting average, like the batting average is never going to be there, but that means he needs to be just absolutely crushing the ball. And yeah, I get it. Like he's going to have a white hot tear and it's going to make me like move him way up. But right now, like I'm worried about him loot. Like, you know, he's starting to lose a little playing time. He's getting buried. You know, he could get buried in a lineup. That stuff is really troubling and just limits his upside to where if he does hit home runs, they're just like solo shots and stuff, right? That that's not what I need. I need him in the middle of that lineup and I need mm-hmm. him hitting the, like I need him hitting lots of home runs. I need him to be part of that murderers mm-hmm. row of three guys who could all hit 40 home runs, right? With judge and uh, Stanton and him. That's what I want. Uh, and, on but until he looks anything like that player, he's going to have to keep getting pushed down. Uh, although he does become a trade target for anyone who feels like he's going to unlock it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's actually painful to watch him play, not just because he's not producing, but just, you know, from the human element, you just really feel for the guy. And then the Yankee fans booing him uh, mercilessly. And it's, it's a little tough to watch, but like I said, he did, hit a home run. He seems to be snapping out of it a little bit. Look, the guy's never going to be a 270 hitter. Probably never going to hit 250 again. But uh look, if he can hit, you know, 220 and and hit, you know, 35 to 40 home runs and, and play a good defensive outfield, you know, we'll take it. But uh like I said, it's, for a while it's been a little tough to watch him just from even a human standpoint, but uh we'll be looking for once the uh, the hitter list is going to be updated so we could uh, check it out.
1: It will be ready tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Well, today, Wednesday, 2 o'clock. Uh, it, it'll, Wednesday. Yep, it'll gotcha. be ready. Uh, it'll be out there. You'll see the the picture of, of Ty France and his new ranking, 77, um, in the hitter list. So he's right in about the middle of it, and he'll probably move up again next time. But, yeah, so so it'll all be there. And, and when you're on the main page after it goes up, you can actually see on our homepage, just like with Nick's pitcher list, you can actually see, like, the the top movers you can see like the, the 10 players who went up or down by the most number of spots. So it's a really cool feature. We added to the front page. That I definitely think you should check out just to get a quick glance of like, okay, who's moving. Right. Like right now I'm being kind of coy and stuff because I'm actually still formulating. And I actually keep doing that right up until release time. <laughs> I keep kind of moving guys around because it, it's, it's tough, you know, especially because there's so many variables and what your team might need and what it doesn't need. But I, uh, I think, you know, it's usually locked down like sometime tomorrow. Uh, And then, of course, come, you know, come on to the to the website or find me on Twitter and ask me about players. Right. You can ask me why I left a guy out. There's a chance I forgot them. There was uh, two guys I think I forgot on the last Mm. one that'll be on this one. And there's I mean, it's it's all real. Like sometimes people catch me and sometimes I tell them why I specifically didn't rank a player that probably a lot of other pundits did. Right. Because I don't see them as a needle mover. Mm. Gene Segura is a big one that comes up a lot. I just I don't really care about Gene Segura on a hot streak because in 10- and 12-team leagues or 12-team 12, 12 Yahoo Standard Leagues, which is what this is uh, designed for, he just doesn't matter because you don't have a middle infield spot and you can always find playing time. He's super valuable in NFBC where you need a middle infielder and you need one that's going to play every, every, every single day. That's Gene Segura, right? And he he's not bad at any mm. one stat, right? He doesn't really give you a negative anywhere. He's just not much of a positive anywhere but because he plays so much, it works out. You don't need that in 12-teamers. Just stream that instead.
0: Gotta love the picture list readers and consumers of uh, our content. Really, really know their stuff, and they really keep us honest. So uh, keep on doing that out there. And uh, that slams the lid on things for today. And like Scott said, if you want to reach out to him, to this, you know, Keep him honest uh, when he puts out that pit, uh, that hitter list. Uh, reach out to him at if the chew fits on Twitter. You could follow me at Joe Galina. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. Anything specific you'd like us to cover? Let us know there. Subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.